Well, good morning, church, and thank you so much for all your generosity, things like the Giving Tree. Every year, you guys are so generous, and just week by week, month by month, thank you. I know it reflects your hearts for Jesus. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer with all our hearts. Pray with me, please, full voice. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, we bless you this morning because you are none other than the sovereign, holy, infinite, imper- infinite, incomparable, incomprehensible, perfect God. Lord, you're the God of the cross. You're the God who has loved us. You're the God of grace and mercy to sinners like us. Lord, we bless you, worship you. Lord, meet with us, speak to us, draw us. Lord, whatever challenges are going on in every single person, in this room, would you please wrap your arms of love around them and rescue them. Lord, we pray for our fellow Christ-honoring churches. We pray for Covenant Methodist Church here in the Creekside area. Lord, you'd bless Jason Burnham and their church in every way. Lord, our outside-the-walls ministries, we think of Chandel Block in Taiwan teaching school, representing Christ. Lord, for all of our Woods Edgers home church groups in the Research Forest and Town Center areas, would you please Help them to be on mission to love their neighbors. Lord God, we love you and we want to love you more. So Lord, move in our hearts. Draw us to yourself. Reveal your love to us. Lord, these are our prayers. We pray together in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Would you please stand with me, church, for our first read the passage. Now, this is our third and final week on uh, marriage from Genesis 2. You know, the foundational passage, all the Bible, 2, 18 through 25. Uh, we touched on 24 and 25 last week, but th- these are the, really the two central verses. Uh, earlier in the chapter, God creates Adam, and then a little bit later, uh, God creates Eve, brings her to the first wedding, and now we've got God's perspective on marriage. We've got God's summary of marriage, found in Genesis 2, 24, where we read, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, church, this is the word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, everything we see around us. But this book will never pass away. It's God's word. Amen. Please be seated. All right, the key verse on marriage starts surprisingly. Verse 24, there's a leaving before a claving. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. By implication, of course, the woman leaves her father and mother. You know it's not talking about Adam and Eve. They have no mothers and fathers. This is God's perspective on marriage down through history forever after. The umbilical cord must be cut, sometimes called the unbiblical cord. Experts say that it takes five years of hard work in any marriage to fully leave and to establish 
your own new family with ways of relating and patterns. And it's understandable because when that child is born, you know, mom and dad are like God. You know, they're, they're completely dependent upon them. And yet from that day on, there should be a gradual independence on the part of that child. And the parents are helping rather than hindering that growing appropriate independence so that one day that child will be 18 years old or so and will be ready to leave home and start their own family union, unit. So it's just an interesting thing. But beware of nurturing over-dependence on you and your kids. For example, if your whole world revolves around your kids and your happiness is contingent upon how they're doing, that's way too much pressure and they might rebel. You don't want to overdo it there. Certainly you want to love fiercely, but have the have the basis and foundation that you're primarily focused on loving God. They're not the center of your world. God is. And then secondly, uh, you're loving your spouse. So if they've got a secure soil and environment to thrive in, it's better for them if it's marriage-centered rather than child-centered. So just be alert to those things which can naturally happen. Now also, when it comes to leaving, let me say this. Um, If you're an adult child, even if you're my age, and you still are holding on to resentments towards your parents, you haven't fully left. Leave. Let it go. You know, get help. Freedom prayer, healing prayer, Christian counselor. Get people praying for you. Don't leave. Don't don't live in the bondage of that pain and resentment. First, leave. Secondly, cleave. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. The old King James said, and cleave to his wife. And the Hebrew word is a very strong word I mentioned last week. It's like, it's, it's stick like glue. And the point is permanence. So the first one, the leave, okay, severance before there can be a new family unit. And now permanence. Now, this is emphatic. When Jesus in the New Testament quotes this verse, he adds, therefore... What God has joined together, let no man separate. He's he just underscoring this is permanent. And if you decide that this is forever, it will change everything in your perspective. That, that this is for the rest of our lives. Um, it will make it much, much more likely that, that your marriage will survive and thrive if there's that security we're not leaving when it gets tough. Somebody wrote of the husband... First, he must choose his love, and then he must love his choice. And by implication, she does the same. Um, You know, you you don't marry the one you love. You love the one you're married to. You love, that's what God's command to us. Emphatically and solemnly, love her, love her, love her. Those of you who have gone through divorce, and I know many, many of you have, I certainly do not want to add any to to your pain that you've experienced. Uh, If you've been divorced for unbiblical reasons, uh, claim and receive fully the grace of God, which is greater than all of our sin, no matter what. And and you're you're washed clean. But in our present marriages, or if you're single now and you're going to get married in the future, okay, this is the perspective to have for your good, for your good. Now, God's not depriving you. He's not... Uh, trying to be a stringent God. Everything he tells us is for our good. Don't hurt yourself. I love the brief anecdote 
from the, about the Queen of England during World War II. And if you saw the movie, The King's Speech, that's the king we're talking about, George VI. Or maybe you've seen one of the uh, Amazon Netflix specials on the Windsors. But this is Elizabeth's parents, Queen Elizabeth's parents. So during World War II, the bombing was fierce in London. I mean, all over they were getting bombed. And so naturally, uh, the queen was asked, are, are you going to get the children out of London? And I love her response. She says, the children will not leave unless I leave. And I will not leave unless the king leaves. And the king is not going to leave under any circumstances whatsoever. I'm going to be there with those people. And that's the attitude that we need to bring into marriage, and it will change everything. I mean, if divorce is an option, Gail and I wouldn't be married, and many of you wouldn't be married. It just, it's just a, it's a, it's a poison from the enemy that that is a live option. So the perspective. Divorce, not an option. It's not a threat in an argument. You know, when you really want to hurt that person, you know, you, know, you bring out that word divorce. You know, how, how wimpy is that? How unloving is that? Um, delete it from your vocabulary. I know they're biblical grounds, but they're few and far between, and the church is ignoring it to our harm. All right, we've seen two principles, leave, cleave, and now the grand principle, they will become one flesh. Now, the first two principles were point of time, leave, cleave. This is process. Begin the process of becoming one flesh for the rest of your life. Become more and more one. Now, the, the one flesh that pictures the oneness in every part of life for a couple. You want to be one emotionally, spiritually, mentally, socially, recreationally, in any and every way you can. You want to be more and more one flesh. And church, this is the magic and the mystery of marriage right here. This one fleshness. This um, closeness, this um, intimacy, this, that's my soulmate. That's what we long for. If God's called you to marriage, if he has given you the gift of marriage, if he's given you the gift of a spouse, this is what you want in it. And our culture hardly knows anything about it. It is this one flesh relationship, so it is a shared life, and we increasingly feel so close to one another. That's the beauty of marriage. How does that happen to become more and more one flesh? Well, in the previous verse, 23, we see that, that we receive the spouse that God's given us. Rather than being sort of looking around and for some perfect spouse, mythical spouse, receive the, the spouse that you've got. Because the perfect spouse ain't out there. Love the one you're married to. So receive fully. Lord, thank you. That's my spouse. And then earlier in the passage, verse 18, the very first word from God on marriage in the Bible, verse 18, you're helpers of one another. You're fundamentally to help her, to help him fully develop as persons. Marriage is not given to accumulate possessions, but to develop persons. Is she becoming more and more Christ-like? Is he becoming more and more Christ-like? Is he thriving? Is she thriving? Are they blossoming, blooming? Look at their face. Have they thrived in your marriage or have they wilted in your marriage? Be helpers in every way possible. Now, there, there, those are the two principles before 
other principles in the Bible, certainly. We want to love our spouse with an unselfish, uh, biblical, sacrificial, other-centered love. Now, that's just completely counterintuitive to we sinful humans because we're more concerned how's she doing at loving me rather than how am I doing at loving her and vice versa. That's not Christ-like love. Christ-like love, focus on loving the other ones, other-centered, extensive other-centeredness. Or we see that we open our hearts to one another. If you want to be close to one another, you've got to open your heart and share what's really going inside, go beyond the surface. Now, guys, most of us, we don't naturally, that's not just natural for us. If I've got a problem and I'm struggling with it, I'm frustrated, or I've got a fear, I am much better at going off on my, my own, particularly while I'm running, and processing that. But if I don't let Gail into that part of my life, we're not ever going to get the closeness that we could have. Women are much better, generally, not, not all the time, but stretch yourself to open your heart on a regular basis. That is, this week, when you're really frustrated and uh, struggling with something, stretch yourself. It won't be natural, but love isn't always natural. It wasn't natural for Jesus to get crucified on a cross. But stretch yourself. Open up. That's how you love a woman. That's how you love a man. They fall in love with people that they know at an in-depth level. Fifthly, how do you get this kind of oneness? There's security. No threat of divorce. Because if there's threat of divorce, am I going to let you get close to my heart? No, nope. I'm going keep to you, keep you away. So you've got to have a security. That's, you know, God's wise. He knows what he's doing. Um, what else? Oh, this one's big. It might be worth all the rest together. Uh, work through conflict as it comes up in a loving, gentle manner. Because if you don't, this is what's going to happen. You've got all these other things going well for you, but conflict poisons the whole thing. So that means if you've got a tendency to give the silent treatment and store up anger inside, whoo, that's death. Or if you've got a tendency to rant and rave, that can be death. You've got to be a great forgiver. Um, do conflict in a loving biblical manner. Now, you need conflict because if there's no conflict at all ever in the marriage, somebody has crushed the other one, and it's completely dominating things. But if you're honest human beings, you're going to bump into each other at times, but you work through it in a gentle way, and you can get even closer. Oh, a last one, uh, a neglected one in our workaholic society. Have fun together. You remember you fell in love with somebody that you were having fun with. You stay in love with somebody you're having fun with, so have fun together. All right, all of those things are some of the ways that we deepen that one flesh relationship. But let me just point out to you that the closer you get to Jesus Christ, the closer you're going to get to one another, aren't you? You see how it works? If you walk with God, you're going to have a better marriage. If you're both walking with God, uh, there's nothing that's going to stop you. If you're living in sin, you're not going to thrive in your marriage. If right now you've got... Uh, got overt disobedience going on in your life, that's a barrier between you and your spouse. It's going to hurt your, your marriage. The more you walk with God, if you're single and you're thinking about getting married one day, choose a spouse who loves Jesus with all your hearts so you can have the foundation for marriage. All righty. Now, 
your marriage, life gets busy. It gets full, and, and, and the tendency is to drift along because you've got so much else you're taking care of. And you drift in your marriage, well, you drift apart every time. I talked about this last week, that you've got to be proactive. Be alert to the threats of marriage today. Now, the threats of marriage. Satan, uh, there's no bigger uh, area of attack than the family. So many of the problems in our culture and society flow out of the rampant divorce and fragmentation of the family today. And it is an area of attack. We've got to be alert to what Satan uses. Can I, can I mention half a dozen things? These are threats that Satan uses. Uh, they're not all bad things, but, but they can be used to separate us in marriage. One is um, uh, overcommitment and busyness. I mean, I'm talking about workaholic Houston suburbs. You know, we, we know what, about that. But when you're too busy and too tired uh, to really uh, be attentive and give your spouse and your marriage priority attention. You know, it just drifts away. So be alert to that. Financial pressure, debt can strangle marriage. Some of you are living that right now, and it's no fun, is it? Consumer credit is a killer. Get out of consumer, get out of credit card debt, and then get out of any other debt you can. It's a killer. Satan is using it to strangle marriages. Thirdly, surprise one, children. Children. Delightful. Great. But if they became the center of the world and you no longer have time to water your marriage, it's going to harm your kids. I believe the hardest season of marriage is if you got two or three preschoolers. I mean, I look at that, that's the crunch years. The crunch years. Some of you are in that. And don't neglect your marriage. You know, Gail and I would go out for a walk. Sometimes we get home, and our little girls, one of them's right over there, about 30 years old. And, um, you know, they were talking nonstop. And sometimes we just have to say, hey, Mom and Dad, for the next 10 minutes, we're going to talk to each other. Run ahead. We keep them in sight. And, and you've got to connect. You've got to connect every day. If you're on the road, connect every day. Share your heart so you can stay close. Uh, conflict, I'm, I already talked about that's such a threat that Satan uses. Uh, unresolved anger, resentment, stored up anger is absolute poison to marriage. Your marriage will not thrive if you are not a great forgiver like God is a great forgiver of you. Swallow your pride. No, spit it out. Get rid of your pride and forgive. Addiction. If you're addicted to alcohol, drugs, pornography, work, many other things, it's going to strangle your marriage. Get help. Get help. So church, this is the beauty of marriage right here. A one flesh marriage. Pursue it. Pursue a shared life as much as you can and pursue it uh, intentionally. Now, briefly on the next verse, it, it is even more fascinating when it says, and the man and the woman and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Why is God telling us they were naked? I can tell you why. Because that physical nakedness depicted an emotional intimacy, a trust, a transparency, this oneness that we're talking about. 
And, and you know why it left, don't you? Because of sin. When the sin came, the trust left. That's why I say again, the more sin you've got in your life, the more walls and barriers are going to go up between you. And the closer you get to God, the closer you can get in your marriage. Now, there's something powerful about this verse. They were both naked and were not ashamed. Um, they had the sort of trust and transparency, that sort of intimacy that we long for, especially in marriage, but in any relationship, friend, friend, parent, child. We want that kind of emotional oneness and openness and, and trust. I mean, that's, that's the relational uh, power that we long for because we're made in God's image, and he's, he's a relational God. And the Father, Son, and the Spirit had the most incredible trust and transparency ever. We're creating his image. We long for that. That's why in the church we've got small groups. That's why we've got home church, because we long for it, uh, whether or not we're married. And we've got to have that trust and transparency. So everything I'm about to say on trust and then on transparency applies to every relationship that we've got every significant relationship, but especially in marriage. If you do not have relationships, at least a few, that are in-depth with trust and transparency, you're going to have a gaping hole in your heart, and you're going to try to fill it with drugs, sports, money, career, uh, vacations. Uh, there's going to be this gaping hole in your heart, and none of those things are going to work to fill it. God himself primarily, but he uses humans of in-depth. How do you build trust? That's the foundation one. We're going to talk about trust. We're going to talk about transparency. The foundation is trust. You will never get close to another human being if you don't trust them, will you? I mean, just, just, you get a, and how do you build trust? Well, simple. Tell the truth. Tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth all the time. Don't even think about it, something else. He asks you how much that chair costs, just tell him what the, cost, what the chair costs. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> she asks you where you've been, tell her. Just don't think twice about it. Truth is the only basis. I so admire this couple. I, I'm not going to say his name, but um, they've got such a great marriage today. And after a, a lot of adultery, 10 years ago, <laughs> God brought repentance in a miraculous way to both of them. And, and, and I so remember him sitting down at Panera Bread and telling me, my main thing here is truthfulness. Wherever that leads, I'm going to be speaking the truth. And he was so wise. God was just giving him grace because truth is the only basis for trust. That means not only that you tell the truth, don't shade the truth, don't lie about the truth, but that you don't deceive and cover up in subtle ways that you justify I mean, so the guy is, is put on probation at work, and he justifies, you know, explain, you know you need to tell your wife. It's that kind of openness and honesty. Um, you just tell the truth. Build it on truth. Moreover, with trust, do what you say. Keep your promises. Little things, big things. You say you're going to pay the visa bill, pay the visa bill. You say you're going to swing by the store, Swing by the store. Now, I know we all forget, but just have the character that this is who you are, that because of your respect and love for your spouse, you just do what you say, little things and big things. Just, just, you trust somebody who keeps their promises. So do what you say. Oh, also, now, you've got to be safe 
for the other person to share their hearts with. I've been talking about uh, you open your heart. Well, if you open your heart and, and they respond with condemnation and shock, you're not going to open your heart next time, are you? So you've got to be safe. I don't mean you can't disagree, say what you believe, but, but you're safe. You're safe. Some of you are not safe. Um, you don't undermine and ridicule the person. Certainly not in front of others. You know, a, a subtle jab here, which really, they die inside and undermine. Trust isn't built there. So in all of these ways, church, we're building trust with truthfulness. Truthfulness. Now, at the end of the, the message, I'm going to talk about, you know, what's God saying to you. Some of you, I'm confident that God is speaking to you right now. That there has not been the kind of truth. And, and he's calling you to, to, to change and to repent. Okay. There's trust and transparency. Transparency, openness, honesty. Now, how do you build transparency, openness, honesty? You can't get to know, you can't be close to one another if you're not open with each other. Well, the foundation is trust. If you've got trust, you're much more likely going to have openness. But you need to stretch yourself. I've already talked about how we men need to stretch ourselves to, to you know, kind of disclose what's really going on inside, unburden your soul. Talk about fears and dreams and, uh, with your spouse. Uh, be great listeners of one another. It's, you know, it's two-way, not just unburdening your soul, but, but be a good listener. Now, not, who do y'all know who's a good listener? I hardly know anybody. Um, most of us are not. I used to think I was a good listener, and Gail let me know that oh, you're really not so good listener. <laughs> Is that okay to say? And she's right, because I interrupt a lot. Uh, listening is powerful. You need, your spouse needs the power of a listening ear where there's eye contact and appropriate questions and you're really listening and not distracted. Um, vulnerability. C.S. Lewis said to love it all is to be vulnerable. You've got to be vulnerable, open if you're going to build this kind of trust and transparency. Well, what if trust has been lost? What do you do about that? I know that's happened a lot. Uh, it can't be lost gradually because there, there hasn't been that foundation of, tr of, tr of truthfulness and, and trust is built. It could be over a gradual period of time, long period of time. Or it could have been in a violent manner ripped apart with an affair. So what if, what if trust has been violated? Well, I wish you could watch what I have seen about couples completely shattered, no hope, start over, forgive, rebuild that trust, and get to such a better place that they look back and thank God they went through that. Some of you today need to hear that and take hope. You need to believe in the power of the gospel to bring forgiveness and change lives, and you need to start over. You need to repent to God, confess to one another, and start over. Forgiveness is the oil that marriage runs upon. All right, church, what is God saying to you this morning? As I mentioned earlier, what, what is the Spirit of God? Well, as, I, as we've been looking at, at God's Word on marriage from this key passage, what has the Spirit been prompting in your heart? Is there anything that He put His finger on? It's kind of raw there. What's He saying to you? I doubt many of you are perfect. What's He saying to you? Single or married, great marriage or struggling marriage, do you need to apologize?
to your spouse about something? Do you need to apologize? Maybe you're single and you're angry at God. You need to apologize. Um, is there anything you need to bring to God for forgiveness? Do you need to forgive your spouse? Do you need to let go of that poison you've been guzzling every day? Do you need to renew your marriage vows and start over? You need to get help. You need to get help from healing prayer or from a Christian counselor or getting your home church group praying for you or reading the Tim Keller book or something. My experience as a pastor is the couples wait until it's too late. Sooner the better. Sooner the better. First signs of turbulence in the water, get help. Do you need to, to trust Christ as your Savior so you've got the basis, the foundation uh, to have this kind of a Christ-centered marriage? Do you need to do that? Do you need to surrender some sin towards God that is a barrier in your life towards your spouse and anybody else? What is God saying to you this morning? Imagine something with me. I want you to imagine God's dream for your marriage. This is his dream. Something like this. You and your spouse, you, you know each other so well, and, and, you, and you know, you're, you feel so accepted by your spouse, though they know all your faults. You can talk freely about anything. You, you can unburden your soul, and, and you feel safe. You feel incredibly loved by your spouse, so much so that you know whatever happens, they will move towards you in love. They'll step towards you, not away from you, in love, whatever happens. It's because you're honest and real. There will be some conflict at times, but you'll resolve it as it comes up in a loving and gentle way, so it's no big threat to you. You don't rant or rave or do the silent treatment. You have tons of fun together. You do. You've got some shared interests and some shared things that you enjoy together. You've got a great sex life. You, you, you express your love to one another. Tons of fun together. You, you, you feel completely secure in the marriage. You, you know that they're not going to abandon you no matter what for the rest of your life. And, and, and you go through the, the life with this deep sense that you're sharing life together with your soulmate your best friend. That is God's dream for your marriage. And it ought to be your dream for your marriage. And you ought to pursue it with all you've got, with more energy than you give your career or your children. For the glory of God. Because your marriage is to be a picture of God's love for us. Sacred romance. Stand with me, church. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, do that right away. Because the whole universe is about this love affair God has for you. Receive that love. Receive that forgiveness. Receive that grace right now. Just, Jesus, save me. I say yes to you. He'll answer that prayer. Now, Lord, we need help in our marriages. There's not a perfect marriage in this room. We need help, Lord God, to have the sort of Christ-like, other-centered, selfless love that you have for us. Give us grace. Give us grace. Lord, I pray that you'd bring forgiveness where there needs forgiveness. I pray there be humility where there needs to be humility. I pray there be unselfishness where there needs to be that. 
please heal marriages. Lord, I thank you for the singles all over Wood's Edge. I thank you so much for them, and some of them like being single, and some of them would love to have a marriage. Lord, wherever they are in that, please be with them. Please wrap your arms of love around them. Be with them in every way. Papa, we love you and bless you. In Christ's name, amen.